Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Cause Jesus paid it
into our hearts, into our hearts. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in today. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Let me welcome you to this ministry. My name is Al Brady, and I'm so pleased you join us. As always, my prayer is that you will be blessed by both the Word and the music. I do so much appreciate the musicians helping us with this ministry. Would you hear now, please, from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. A good name is better than precious ointments, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of everyone, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of countenance the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression makes the wise foolish, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please for prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. I wonder if you agree. If the writer means that the end of a thing is more important than the beginning of it, then I for one would agree with him. Certainly it's better to have a, a thing come out better in the end than simply begin. But as a matter of actual fact, the end of a thing is not always better than the beginning. A year may start out happily and end wretchedly. A career may start out well and end miserably. A case in point is Solomon. Solomon reigned Israel for 40 years. Upon the death of David, you remember, Solomon consolidated the royal power and overcame his enemies. He established the temple. He was a man who acquired great wealth. He had great organizational skills. He was a great businessman. And we're told that he had great wisdom. At least we would have to say to a degree, to a degree. Yet with all of his accomplishments, Solomon was not faithful to God. God tried to warn him that he should not marry all of these women and he should not follow after their gods. But he did anyway. The result was upon his death, God became so angry that he split the, the nation apart. Solomon started well, but he ended miserably. Now, I want us to relate all of this to the whole process of growing older. A well-known minister was preaching some years ago in South Georgia, and he made this statement in his sermon. He said, life after 40 is characterized by the four Bs, bulges, bifocals, baldness, and bridges. At this point, one of the members of the congregation stood up and shouted, Preacher, don't forget my bunions. Don't forget my bunions. To some people, growing older can be acquainted to a disease. These people see it as loneliness. They see it as dementia. They see it as death. They see it as youthlessness. They see it in all these different ways. Not long ago, I was reading about the movie star Demi Moore. People magazine said that in her insecurities about remaining attractive, in other words, staying thin 
and young. She jumped off the deep end. As a matter of fact, she and her husband, her 15-year younger husband, Ashton Kutcher, divorced. Then she stopped eating. She started drinking. She went to parties. She got hooked on drugs. Her behavior became erratic, and all of these things began to occur, and they finally had to put her in the hospital. About a month later, in People magazine, in the mailbag, somebody said, Demi should learn that age and the wisdom that comes with it can be a beautiful thing. On the other hand, other people see the process of aging as something much better. I saw this the other day, and I thought it was cute. I want to read it to you. As I said, other people see the process of aging as joyous. This is called the joys of aging. I've become quite a frivolous old gal. I'm seeing five gentlemen every day. As soon as I awake, willpower helps me out of bed. When he leaves, I go see John. Then Charlie Horse comes along, and when he's here, he takes a lot of my attention. When he leaves, arthritis shows up and stays the rest of the day. He doesn't like to stay in one place very long, so he takes me from joint to joint. After such a busy day, I'm really tired and ready to go to bed with Ben Yeh. What a day. As I said, seriously, some people see the process of growing older as a remarkable process, as a normal process of life. They see it as accepting new responsibilities, rejecting some old responsibilities. They see it as deepening their relationships, as deepening the opportunity of being with God. Former President Jimmy Carter said that he realized that his life was changed when he just became 70 years of age. He said Barbara Walters interviewed him and she went through all of his life from planes to the submarines to the governorship to the White House and beyond. And she said, Mr. President, your life has been most amazing and you've had many exciting careers. What have been your best years? What have been your best years? Jimmy Carter thought a while and he said, my best years are now. But then Barbara Walters said, why? He said when he started to explain it to her, he gave some sort of bumbling answer. But then he decided after the program was over, he needed to give that a better answer. So he wrote the book, The Virtues of Aging. The Virtues of Aging. Thus, when we hear the words of the writer of Ecclesiastes, better is the end of a thing than its beginning, we simply respond, it all depends. Especially as we start considering our own lives, it all depends. It depends on what? First, if we are to end better, we must never stop growing. We must never stop growing. I want to go back to King Solomon for a moment, if I could. What is most commendable about Solomon is the way he started his ministry. We're told in 1 Kings chapter 3 that God promised him in a dream that he would answer any prayer that he asked. Solomon gave this flying colors what did he ask for? He asked for wisdom to discern between right and wrong. He asked for wisdom to govern effectively and faithfully. God was pleased and answered that prayer. And he started out in a wonderful way, to be sure. But as we look at the end of his ministry and the rest of his ministry, things are not so good. Not so good at all. The ending was not nearly as good as the beginning. The reign that was inaugurated in the full favor of God fell apart. At the end of his life, he was out of favor with God and his kingdom was taken apart. One explanation to what happened is this. It would seem that somewhere in his middle to later years, he stopped growing. He stopped growing. And when we stop growing, there's only one other response, and that is we start 
decaying. Either we grow or we decay. That's the devastation of it. So the process that Solomon started out with ended in disintegration, in decay. In reality, we do not grow old with age. We age because we are not growing. A young man simply responded recently, I haven't read a book in five years. He was already old. He's already old. Some young people saw an older man. He was bright and spry and radiant and happy. And they asked him how he was living such a joyous life. And he saw an apple tree in full bloom. And he pointed to the tree and he said, you know, every year that tree grows a little new wood. When it stops, it dies. He said, I try to grow a little new wood every single year. And then John Maxwell said that the year 1974 was a turning point in his life. He said he met with a fellow named Kurt Van Vier. This particular fellow was a hesitant, the president of Motivation Incorporated. And in the process of their conversation, they met for breakfast one morning. Kurt said to him, John, he said, what is your plan for personal growth? John Maxwell said he never lacked for words. So he started talking about the things he was doing. He talked about how his organization was growing. And finally he ran out. And Kurt looked at him and said, John, you don't really have a plan for growing, do you? And then he said, you know, growth is not automatic. John Maxwell said at that point, I decided to develop a personal plan for my growth. Here was Paul out on the Damascus Road. He felt that the one who had grasped him had a dream and a vision and a purpose for his life. And he felt that if he failed to grow, he would be disappointing Jesus. And so he said, I press on toward the goal for the mark of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. And so he pressed on to grow. And then secondly, if we are to end better, we must never grow idle. There's a marvelous story in the book of Proverbs about an older woman who lived up to the standards of God. She lived up as a mother and a wife, and evidently this was an older woman. It certainly seemed to me that she was older. She lived up to one of God's great standards. And this is what it says about her in the Bible. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Idleness means the neglect of proper duties. It means sluggishness, being slow. She does not eat the bread of idleness. She does not sit down inactive. Billy Graham was writing his book recently, Near and Home. And he said in that book, don't retire from life. He said, enjoy life. Life has an expiration moment. And it does. No matter whether we are retired or not, younger or older, we all need to be pursuing goals. And we all need to be excited about the things we are doing. I remember Jimmy Carter talked about his mother, his amazing mother. His father died in 1953. His mother was 55 at the time. She was already older than most of the RNs who had retired. She mourned for a while, but then she decided that life was more than that. So she started a whole new life. The first thing she did, she became a house mother for 95 KAs at Auburn University. And to them, she became their protector, their counselor, and their bail officer. After that, she decided to work with some friends who wanted her to develop this new elderly home there in Blakely, Georgia. So she went and she worked there for a couple of years. Then she got tired and went home. On television one night, she heard them talking about the Peace Corps. So she went through the training and at age 68, she was sent to a little village near Bombay, India, where she worked for a couple of years. 
after she worked there, she came back and gave over 500 speeches, over 500 speeches, telling the people in her audiences not to let their age limit their activities. And then I remember reading about Hulda Crooks. Hulda Crooks was a woman who first at the age of 65 went over Mount Whitney, Mount Whitney. She gave us what she calls the Ten Commandments for better years. Here they are. Cultivate a spirit of gratitude and cheerfulness. Number two, eat sensibly. Number three, exercise according to your ability. Number four, rest adequately. Number five, keep mind and body active. Number six, plan for 20 years down the road. Number seven, set your house in order. Get rid of material things you never use. Number eight, find something or somebody to help. Number nine, take care of your body the best you can. And number 10, keep on learning. I think you'll see there's no time for being idle there. And then thirdly, if we are to end better, we must maintain belief in ourselves. A man went to a psychiatrist to see him. The psychiatrist said to him, you're a loony. He said, I want a second opinion. He said, you're ugly too. In this kind of world, it's hard to maintain belief in ourselves. Here was the Apostle Paul. He was dealing with the thorn in the flesh. He was beaten by his enemies. He was betrayed by his friends. He was shipwrecked. He went without food. He suffered. How in the world did he look kindly upon creation? You remember Paul and Silas were in a prison and they sang at midnight. How did he keep positive in a terrible situation? He knew that he was loved unconditionally by God. You remember the writer of Genesis. The writer of Genesis said something like this. Let us make humankind in our own image after our likeness. We are made in the image of God. Paul said, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And if one dies, it will be the will of God. And then he talked about the, the hairs of our head that are numbered. This is God's valuation of us. God sees that we are important. Now, my digestive tract may have slowed down. I may not be able to hear as well. I may not be able to see as well. I may not be able to speak as well. But it really doesn't matter because, you see, I'm important and I'm valuable in the sight of God. There was a king of England who decided every Christmas to send his soldiers a letter, a card, a Christmas card. One of his soldiers had no family, no friends. Nobody ever contacted him, no gifts ever. But one time when he got the royal card, he said, even if everybody else forgets, my king remembers. And that is true. Even if everybody else forgets, my king remembers. In the Christian faith, we have something we call the celebration of uselessness. That's right. I can be useless. I don't have to have any credentials that I'm still important and valuable in the sight of God. So if we are to end better than we are to begin, then we simply have to live and maintain belief in ourselves. Maintain belief in ourselves. And then if we are to end better, we have to live outside ourselves. What was it Paul said in Corinthians? He said you could have every gift of the Spirit, the gift of speaking in tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gift of understanding the gift of mountain-moving faith. But he said, if I do not have love, I am nothing. 
I looked up the meaning of this word nothing. It means a zero, a total zero. I can have all those gifts, but if I have not love, I'm a total zero. There's a rule that says if I am self-preoccupied, then I do not have time to be concerned for others. Consequently, I am a miserable mess. There was a woman who was 96 years of age. She had all the time to spend in her house alone. But what she said was she was filled with prayer. She prayed for all of her friends. My goodness, she said, there's so many friends, I don't have time to pray for all of them. She was full of love and focused outward. I read about another woman that was inching toward a hundred years of age. She said she looked forward every week to taking meals on wheels to what she said was the old people. You see, this woman was focused outward and she had a heart of love as well. And then if we are to end better, we must live close to Christ. How often we tend to think that the best years are the younger years. But according to God's plan, that's not the case. We're told that he gave the best wine last. In God's plan, the best years are last. Why? Because in those later years, we have more time to spend with God, more time to practice the presence of God, more time to seek the things of God. Now, let me tell you something in the older years. We're going to be doing a lot of things. We're going to be learning how to play and how to laugh. We're going to be playing bridge and we're going to be playing golf. We're going to be doing all kinds of things, to be sure. Painting and oils, scuba diving. I have a friend who's 86 years of age. He called me recently and said he had just gotten into a race car and he raced around in Atlanta Speedway at 200 miles an hour. He was 86 years of age. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. It's much better to know the Bible better, to pray better, to love better, to minister better. I remember the president of the Great Panthers said, I try at least to do one outrageous thing every week. That outrageous thing may be studying the Word of God, praying better, growing better, loving better. You know, any active, good growing of age it's going to have something to do with faith. John Killinger told the story of, a, of an older man and a teenage boy. They were fishing. They were discussing all these various things, why the sunsets are red, why the rain falls from the sky, why the seasons change, what life is about. Finally, the boy looked at the old man who was baiting his hook, and he said something to like this. He said, does anybody ever see God? And this older man replied, Son, it's getting so I hardly see anything else. That's what old age ought to be about. Seeing God better and better and better. So when we hear the writer of Ecclesiastes say, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, it all depends. It all depends. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we're grateful for your presence. We are grateful that you are the God of youth and the God of the ages and the God of the aged. We're grateful, O oh God, that nothing ever happens to us or transpires in our lives that you are not aware of and involved in with us. We are grateful you love us, you made us, you continue to value us, and that we are important in your sight. Bless all these friends who are listening and sharing in this program. Keep them all close to you. Grant them peace and strength. It's in your name. Amen. Let me thank you again for joining with us tonight, and I trust you'll continue to worship with us on 
these Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. Have a good evening. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back, I know you are near. And I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. And if my God is with me, then whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I I will feel